0: Worship. Uh, you know, somebody uh, said to me the other day via text, they said, you know, I think that uh, the worship has actually been better since we uh, have been apart. <laughs> and uh, I, I knew what they meant, and that's that, you know, every week when we uh, gather here in our main worship center to uh, have our worship service, we're bringing, you know, all of our worship pastors together from... You know, five different venues and three different campuses. And, and they band together as a team, and, and they just do a phenomenal job. So the horsepower that we're uh, putting into the worship uh, is incredible. So uh, I'll make a deal with you guys. Uh, if, if you like this and want to keep it like this, then uh, you'd have to quadruple tithes so that we could uh, buy or hire all these other worship pastors to have this type of experience. But here's, here's the real serious thing. I I, I think what was said earlier uh, by Ethan is exactly right, and that's that you know, whether you have one worship pastor, five or none, what makes worship is you. Uh, what makes worship is, is us gathering together, even doing so digitally as the people of God and, and worshiping him. And, uh, and that's what's profound about times like this for me. And then the second thing that makes worship, and this was hinted to earlier by Rustin, uh, is the Word of God. So for hundreds of years, worship has been about uh, the, the gathered people singing and worshiping God, but then turning to His Word. And one of the things that has not changed throughout this whole uh, COVID-19 thing is the time that I get to put into uh, our, our, our time in the Word. And so I spent about 20 hours this week in one verse of the Bible, and it was an incredibly rich time for me to be able to do so, and now I get to share with you guys just a bit of what God put on my heart. I originally entitled this uh, sermon or this message uh, Spirit, uh, because when I was looking at this last summer, planning this series, that's what hit me. I kind of changed it as I went through this week, and you'll see why we've called it Power, but it's still very much, as you'll see, about the Holy Spirit. Uh, Last thought before I pray, God's timing could not be better as far as this message here today Uh, in the midst of COVID-19. We don't plan these things. We're just following the word of God in this series as he leads us. But to, to have this topic of power in a time when many of us feel incredibly powerless I believe is very, very timely, and I think you're gonna be blessed. So with that said, let's all bow together right now and pray, and then we're gonna dive into one verse uh, for the next half hour or so. Father, thank you for your word. As you know, Lord, this week I was so incredibly grateful to you and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit for the provision of your word that you have given to us that gives us revelation, insight, truth, into who you are. And God, there's not one of us here today uh, tuning in that is not interested in this idea of power. We live in a world enamored with power. and As we're gonna see, you have quite a bit to say about this subject, but you also wanna kind of guide us, point us in the right direction for power than maybe some of us are going now. So nudge us, guide us. Uh, Lord, even for some of us, turn us completely around when it comes to our understanding of your power and our lives, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So here would be a great way to start our time together, and it's simply to ask you, when was the last time you felt powerless in your life? When was the last time you felt powerless in your life? It's okay. You can admit it. We all feel powerless at times, and many of us feel powerless more often than not, and some of us even feel powerless for very long seasons. Most of us feel powerless right now in the pandemic that's making its way through our world. We don't know all that we need to about this virus. There's still a lot of unknowns. We might be afraid to get it. We might be afraid of what we do if we do get it. We're powerless in the midst of a shutdown economy. We're physically isolated from our friends. We even feel powerless to help those loved ones around us who who might be struggling with this as well. Let's admit it, many of us feel powerless in light of COVID-19 and the havoc that it wreaks on our lives. We're just sort of waiting it out, hoping to get some of our power back. And as we all know, our battle with feeling powerless probably was existent even before this pandemic. Many of us felt powerless in certain areas of our life before all of this. If you're experiencing marital struggles, you know what it's like to feel powerless, Uh, talking it through hasn't worked, counseling hasn't worked, prayer sometimes doesn't seem to make a huge dent, even gutting it out, persevering, waiting on God, the things the Bible tells us to do, hasn't solved the problems uh, of your marital breakdown. Uh, Marital breakdown is brutal, and it's sometimes very hard to see light at the end of the tunnel. Let's face it, we feel powerless in times like that. And then there's parenting. If you're a parent uh, tuned into us today, you know what it's like to feel powerless. Kids have a mind of their own, especially as they reach adolescence and early adulthood. And where we once felt in control of our children, we no longer do. And again, all of our tried and true methods reading books, asking advice, seeking therapeutic help, even prayer. Sometimes doesn't seem to turn the tide. We feel powerless. And then we get to our emotions, our damaged emotions. Anxiety, depression, fear, worry. We've been battling them for years, tried so many things, and we feel powerless, some of us do, to ever feel happy again. I could go on and on. The list is almost endless for those of us who live in the real world. Financial problems, everything from debt to the ups and downs of the stock market. We feel powerless. Job frustrations with our company or boss. Health problems that defy a clear diagnosis or prognosis. Conflict with a good friend. Spiritual confusion and doubt. Think about it. There are so many things in a fallen world that can wreak havoc on our lives and make us feel powerless over the things going on around us. Powerlessness is simply that feeling that no matter what we do, we just can't seem to make a dent. We just can't seem to find a solution to the problems at hand. And my guess is there is not one of us tuning in today who has not in some way, shape, or form felt powerless at times in our lives. It's universal to the human condition. And it's no fun, it's just very real and raw, even for God's people in his church. And then comes along the Bible. A book that's designed, as we all know, to help us find trust and hope that we need to navigate life this side of heaven. And it talks very candidly and powerfully and positively about this idea of power. In fact, I did something this week that was kind of fun. I did a word search of the word power and then the word strength. They're kind of synonyms in the Bible. And and here is what I found. And that is that there are around 500 verses in the Bible that talk about the power and strength that God wants to give his people. 500 verses that tell us that maybe there is more to tapping into God's reserves of power and strength than we might realize So for those of you who might think you've heard everything you need to on God's power, I'm here today to tell you you haven't, that there are some things that maybe we can learn, even tap into, that might give us some some light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to feeling powerless in our lives. And one of the most profound and life-altering passages in all the Bible on power is found, ironically, here in our 316 series where we're looking at some of the various chapter 3, verse 16 passages in the Bible. It's Ephesians 3, verse 16, and it's designed to deliver a one-two punch when it comes to our feelings of powerlessness. So let's read it together, Ephesians 3, verse 16. You all follow along as I read. It's very simple, but really profound, and it says this, that he, God, would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. That's the passage. Now, I want to do two things with this 316 passage today. First, in just a second, I'm going to give you an overriding main point that I believe clearly drives home what this passage is getting at when it comes to God, you and me, and his power And then secondly, I want to give you an action point that's going to help us apply this and learn how to tap into God's power on a more regular basis. And so first, let's be willing to dig a little bit here and do a deep dive into this passage. And so here's our main point that's going to get us thinking about what this passage is saying. I believe it's the core message of Ephesians 3, verse 16, and it's this. And that is, it's telling us that God is both wanting and willing when it comes to his power. Man, if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. God is both wanting, we'll see what that means in a minute, and willing when it comes to his power. Now, in order to see this with the clarity that this 316 passage lays out, I want you to follow me on a little journey right now and tracking the progression laid out in this single verse. Because though it seems so simple and the, word, the verse doesn't have all that many words in it, th- there's a real depth in this verse taking us almost through a, a, a valley and up the other side and tracking this idea of God's power. Notice that it begins by saying this, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. I put it up here on our, on our whiteboard so we can track, again, the, the early stages of this progression. Uh, he begins by saying that God would grant us something. That word grant in the original Greek language that the Bible was written in is a very common word, as you can imagine. In fact, it appears over 400 times in the New Testament, and the word is not hard to translate. It means to give, to offer, to grant. It simply carries the idea that you and I are all familiar with, that there's an innate desire inside somebody to give something to somebody else. And so they open themselves up and say, I offer this to you. But here it's talking about God, that God would be wanting to grant something to us. You know, it's kind of sad in the New International Version and in the New Living Translation, two of our modern uh, translations of the Bible, they actually don't even translate this word. They just say, may God strengthen you. And and that's sad here, and that's one of the reasons I use some of these uh, more uh, more conservative Bible translations because you don't want to overlook this word grant here because here's what it's saying, And, and it's part of our main point today, And that is that God is wanting to do something in your life. Just like you understand what the word grant and offer means, God is standing like this, with open arms, offering you something, wanting to do something. We'll see what that is in just a minute. But then it says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. This is a really important phrase here according to the riches of his glory, because what this shows us is that God is not just wanting to do something, but he's willing to do something according to the wealth of of, of all of his attributes. That word glory, I've taught you this before, is simply anything that emanates from God. The Old Testament calls it the Shekinah glory of God. It's his radiance, It's, it's that which comes forth from him. That's God's glory. F.F. Bruce, the great scholar, says that God's glory are the sum of all of his attributes revealed or shown to us. And so what it's saying here, don't miss this, is that God wants to grant us. He's wanting to do something in us, and he's got a ton of resources. According to the wealth of all that he's willing to show us, and he's willing to give those to us. And so God is both wanting and willing. He wants to grant you something according to the riches of his glory. And what is it that he is wanting and willing to grant us? Here it is. That is to be be strengthened with power through his spirit. Folks, I gotta tell you, it is here that we're about to experience the one, two, even three punch of God. Add it up. He says that he wants and is willing to strengthen us. That word in the Greek simply means to be made strong as in to be made capable. It's fascinating. The word is only used four times in all of the New Testament. You're going to like this. Two of the times it's used of Jesus to talk about how when Jesus was growing and maturing as a human being, even though he was God in the flesh, that he grew in wisdom and strength. And the other time it's used in Corinthians is to, is to command us to be strong in the Lord. And then it's used here in Ephesians 3.16. So what does it mean? It simply means that just like Jesus, God wants us to be strong. And yet the question is, strong in what? And it clarifies it. This is the second part of the punch. Strong in his power. It's a Greek word, dunamis. It means explosive power. It's where we get the English word dynamite from. It's used over a hundred times in the New Testament. Now watch this. In almost every context, it means supernatural power. So God is both wanting and willing. He wants to grant you by the rich resources that he has, this strength and this power in our lives. And then before we put all this together, notice that it's through his spirit. This is really important. So it's not your strength, your power. It's the Holy Spirit's strength and power. But here's what a lot of people don't understand. The same Spirit who lives and indwells each and every believer. So this will be really important in a second here. I told you this is a profound passage. The power, as we're going to see in a second here, is already in you, even if you don't feel it, even if you're not experiencing it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in you. Look at a couple of passages that show us this. This is Jesus speaking, John 14, verse 17. He says, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, because you're following Jesus, and he abides with you and will be, say these last two words with me, in you. So the Holy Spirit comes and makes his presence, we call it the indwelling of the Spirit, in you when you believe in Jesus. And what does the spirit do? Look at Romans eight eleven. It says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life, like power, to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So the spirit lives in you. He dwells in you. He wants to give you life and power. So add it all up, gang. We're about ready to get to the top of the mountain. God is both wanting and willing to grant us something flowing from his vast resources tied to his glory. That should be enough to perk our attention. And what is it? It's his power, strengthened with power, a Jesus-like explosive power, and it's already living in each and every believer through the Holy Spirit who lives in us because we believe. And So the old saying is really true. You got the power. (laughs) You have it in you right now. You're walking around with it, again, whether you know it or not or feel it or not. It's in you because the Spirit is in you, and the Spirit brings power to your life. For some of us, we simply need to know this, believe this, and own this, and then, as we'll see in a second here, learn to avail ourselves of this power, and then we wouldn't feel so powerless. Now, Before we wrap up by talking about how to avail ourselves of this power that God has so graciously made available to us, we first need to note one final key aspect of this 316 passage. Now, I'm going to warn you, it is probably the most overlooked and yet key aspect of this passage because it addresses an issue that I believe that most, if not all of us, deal with And this is the issue. It's the elephant in the room. Well, Jamie, if all of this power is available to me right now, then why do I feel so powerless at times in my life? In other words, why aren't my circumstances different? Why is my marriage and my kids and my finances and my emotions and my spiritual life still so messed up? If the spirit is living in me and I got all this power available to me and the riches of his glory and all the things we just went through, then what's the disconnect? Why do I feel so powerless? And though part of the answer to this question will be tied to how we avail ourselves of God's power, which we're gonna get to in a few minutes when we wrap up, there is one more thing that this passage shares that is very critical. And again, many Christians miss it and have really bad theology here as a result, because it has to do with where and in what ways the power of God is given to us in our lives. So let me show you what I mean. Look one last time at this passage, and I put it here in yellow. Let's review. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit, here it is, in the inner man in the inner man. This is where the power is given. I'm using the New American Standard Bible here, but the English Standard Version actually has a better translation here, I believe. It translates it in the inner being. The reason they use inner man here is because it's the Greek word anthropos, where we get the English word anthropology from, and back then they just translated it, rather than human being, they translated it man or mankind. And so without trying to be sexist here, why don't we just say what the ESV does, and that is it's talking about the inner being, the inner person here. Here's what you need to know. It's the interior person, the inside of you, as opposed to the exterior world of your circumstances. As one Bible expert says, this refers to the center of a person's being. The interior versus the exterior. Who you are on the inside versus all the things happening in the world or your circumstances on the outside. Don't miss this. This is where God wants to give you his power the most in your inner person or in your inner being. And the interior person obviously includes three things. You're going to like this. And that is it includes your thoughts, your feelings, and your will, that willful part of you, your thoughts, your feelings, and your will. And isn't it fascinating that the rest of the Bible will go on to talk about how God does his best work. He gives us his best power when it comes to changing our thinking, our feelings, and even our behaving, our insides. In in Romans 12, verse two, it says that God wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, And then in 1 Corinthians 2.16, it says that we're to have the mind of Christ. So God's very committed to giving us power in the way that we think and view the world and circumstances around us. But he doesn't stop there. He also wants to change our feelings. He wants us to harness our negative emotions and then foster positive ones. He says in Ephesians 4.26, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Man, harness that thing. Just, just hold that thing there. Because you don't want to run wild with your anger. But then in Galatians 5, and 23, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, steadfastness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So he wants to change your thinking. He wants to change your feelings. And then he, he wants to strengthen your will to obey him. James 1, verse 22, don't be just hearers of the word, but be doers, do something with your will that God has given you. So you got this thinking, this feeling, this behavior, all described as your interior world, your, your, your interior being. And what you need to see is that that's where God wants to deposit his power the most. So here's what some of us need to hear more than anything else And that is that right here the scriptures are making a distinction between power to change circumstances versus a power to change you. That's why some of us feel powerless. Because we demand and are waiting, that God just wipe out and change all of our circumstances, and when he doesn't, we say, well, I guess I'm powerless, whereas God comes along and says, no, I'm reserving my best power to do something not just in your circumstances, but to do something in you, to strengthen you with all the vast resources of my glory, to strengthen you in that inside part of you, your thinking, your feeling, and your will, so that you might handle your circumstances better but without changing all your circumstances, I'm after changing you. That's what this passage is telling us here. And don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean that there won't be times in which God doesn't use his power to change our circumstances. Of course he does. And of course he will. But that's not the guaranteed promise. It's not. He has never promised us that he's going to change all of our fallen circumstances this side of heaven. There's nowhere you can prove that in the Bible. He has promised, however, that if you will follow him and you will trust him, he will change you. And he will empower you from the vast riches of his glory in your inner being, even when your circumstances still stink. And I cannot tell you, gang, how many times I have seen God do this in 40 years of being a Christian and almost 30 years, over 30 years of being a pastor. I remember one of the very first times I saw this, I was a very young new pastor, pastoring as an associate pastor in Detroit, and there was a gal in my church at that time, a bit older than me, maybe 10, 15 years older than me, and uh, and and she described herself with a phrase I'd never heard before. I've heard it a lot since then. We even use it here. She described herself as spiritually single. Spiritually single. And again, being a relatively new Christian, having raised in the church, I was like, "What does that mean, spiritually single?" And as I asked her about it, she said, "Well, what it means is that is that I'm married, but my husband is not a believer in Jesus. And so, though I love him, and we actually have a pretty good marriage, and all of that. On, on a spiritual level, I'm alone." and single. And I thought, wow, what an interesting phrase. We actually have an entire group of ladies that meet here at our church on a regular basis that are they're in that camp. And as I got to know this gal uh, in, in my church there, I came to find out that that was actually a very difficult road for her, that going down this road of being married to somebody that she loves deeply, I mean, her soulmate, but having him not share really much at all uh, her love with Jesus was a very difficult road for her. In fact, as I've interacted with gals and guys who are in that position over the years, sometimes that can be one of the most painful things you go through, this side of heaven, because Jesus is somebody that you love more than anything. He saved your very soul, and here you got your soulmate, and and, and you don't share that. It can be a very, very painful, painful road to go down. And and at one point, as I got to know this gal, because she seemed to handle it so well, I I said to her, I said, you know, you, you just seem to be so you know, okay and good and, and all of this. I mean, I, how, how do you deal with this? And she looked at me and she said, oh, no, 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 you misunderstand. She said, I, I grieve it every day. It's a battle every day. It's difficult every day. And then she said, but God is a husband to the husbandless. He's a father to the fatherless. And over the years, Jamie, he, he has become my all and all And even though there's this great deficit in my life and in my marriage, I am okay because of him. But what was she saying? She was saying in a very real way, he has given me power and strength in my inner person, in my inner being to be okay in the midst of this not so ideal circumstance. This gal became so good at that, we actually hired her to be the head of our women's ministry at our church back there in the 90s in Detroit, and she's still in ministry to this day because she learned to tap into, we'll talk about how in a second here, that power reserved for you in your your being. And folks, I cannot tell you how many times I've seen stories like that play itself out in so many different scenarios among God's people who follow and trust him. He might not take you out of the circumstances that you're in. As far as I know, this gal's husband never has come to Jesus, even though she's tried everything, including living a godly, prayerful life in front of him. But he did change her. And in changing her, doing something to strengthen her soul, she was able to be okay in the midst of that. And see, here's what a lot of Christians miss, is that when it comes to our finances, our marriage, our parenting, our health, our emotions, our work, our relationships, even COVID-19, we look to God and say, God, I'm not gonna be happy until this is fixed. (laughs) And God, like a good parent, says to you, well, then you ain't gonna be very happy, are you? (laughs) Because God is not gonna change all of our fallen circumstances this side of heaven, again, that's not his point his point is to change us and again don't get me wrong i don't want any emails on this yes he at times changes circumstances and we see him do amazing things in which he enters into our circumstances and i even hope that he gets rid of this virus or at least gets a vaccine i mean we're praying for all of that but what most christians don't realize is that when he doesn't change all that you only have one of two choices You can either be profoundly disappointed with God and be this close to calling him not good or you can realize he's still up to something on planet earth and that is he's doing something in you to make you the man or woman of God that you need to be to deal with your debt, to deal with your marriage, to deal with your kids who aren't doing very well, to deal with your health in which you're struggling, to deal with your emotions that you can't seem to get control of, to deal with that nasty boss, to deal with those family of origin relationships that you're never gonna make completely right, to deal with a pandemic running through our culture. Again, God reserves his best power in our lives for the inside stuff. As Jesus says, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, it's what proceeds from his heart. And Jesus wants to change your heart. A real quick thought before we wrap all of this up. One of the reasons I'm so passionate about this and that's so important to me is because there have been times in my 40 years of following Jesus where I've wondered, where is the power? (laughs) I'm sure any of us who are honest with ourselves wonder that. That, you know, you wonder, I mean, why don't I see more of these power manifestations of God in my life? There are some Christians who even run to certain cities where they're told the Spirit has shown up and there's a manifestation of God's power and all of that. I mean, we all want to see God's power more. And though we pray all the time as a church for God to change circumstances and to show up and manifest His power in certain ways, and sometimes He does and sometimes He doesn't, Why this is so important to me is because when I've opened my eyes to what Ephesians 3.16 is saying here, and that is that God is reserving his best power to change my thinking and to deal with my runaway feelings and to make my will more submissive to him. There are times when I say, God, I want to see more of your power. And he basically says to me, shame on you, Jamie. I have been exhibiting my power in your life for 40 years, I'm making you the man of God that I want you to be, and you're thinking different, you're feeling different, you're, you're, you're more willful toward me and less toward your own flesh, don't you dare tell me that I'm not showing my power in your life. And, and you see, sometimes we need to set, recognize where and how his power is found in our lives. It's in the inner being that he changes us. That's where it's seen the most. And so what do we do with this? How, how do we appropriate and tap into this power available to us by our wanting and willing Father that is already in us by the Holy Spirit who indwells. Here's your action point. And again, this is the key, and this is where a lot of Christians tend to fall short, and that is that humility and prayer are what unleash God's power in our lives. Let me repeat that. Humility, we'll define that in a second, and prayer unleash God's power in our lives. How do we know this? Here is something that you might not have picked up yet about Ephesians 3 16 and yet it's going to be very very helpful and that is that this verse is a prayer. This verse itself is a prayer. In fact this entire verse and even the four or five verses that flow from this or three or four verses that flow from this are one long prayer. And so let's note the context of this passage. Let's look at the two verses before this that reveal this to us. Look at verses 14 and 15 right before verse 16. Paul the Apostle says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, and then he goes into verse 16, that he would grant you and then to be strengthened you know, with power in your inner being. And so don't miss that Paul is bowing, he's on his knees, wherever he is, before the Father, and he's talking to the Father, and then he utters verse 16, and then 17, 18, and 19, which is one long prayer. And this shows us something, that if God is going to unleash this power in our inner being, it's gonna come because we and others are praying and asking, and waiting, and we're doing so on bended knee, which shows humility. You see, humility is simply knowing your place in the universe. It's knowing who God is and who you are. Hint, he's way up there, you're way down here. It's also knowing that you're a human being who has fallen, which at the end of the day makes you know better than anybody else. And so humility, I like how Romans 12, verse three says it, is to not think of yourself more highly than you ought is this right estimation of yourself. I put it this way. It's not reading your own press releases, <laughs> It's not trying to build yourself up, but as John the Baptist said, it's it's you decreasing so that he, God, may increase in your life. That's humility. That's why Paul could be on bended knee. Even though he was highly educated and God was doing all these powerful things through him, he knew where his spiritual bread was buttered and there he was humble before God. And then praying, talking to God, asking him, now don't miss this, to unleash power. Asking him to reveal things that may be blocking that power, asking him to heal things that need to be healed in order for God's power to be more unleashed in our lives. It comes through prayer. And what I'm about to do right now, I want to be very careful with, because most times at this point in the sermon, I use it as a time to confess to you how incredibly short I fall of this usually to make you all feel like I'm with you in the battle and hey, it's okay, we all stumble in in certain areas, but I'm not going to do that today. Because as I thought about my life and as I applied this to my life today, and again, you always run great risk when you're talking about humility at saying you're really humble because you've just ruined it right there, but I'm going to take that risk. I I, got to tell you, as I thought about my life, I thought one of the reasons that I experienced God's power in the way that I think, in the way that I feel, and in the way that I, I willfully act is because after 40 years now, he, he has said to me every day, I want you to be humble and I want you to pray. I, I've told you this before. I, I, I don't know if it's a gift or whatever. I, I, I'd like to believe every Christian is like this, but there is probably not a five minute period that goes throughout my day where I don't think of God. Uh, one of my mentors years ago described or defined sanctification as a God-obsessed life that learns to fight the battle well. I like that definition. A God-obsessed life that learns to fight the battle well. And that fits me. I, I, ever since I got saved, March 11, 1981, I, I I've thought of God almost every moment of every day. I, 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 even when I'm running from him, we're gonna do a whole series on running from God next month, and believe me, I'm a big-time runner. But even when, when I'm like Jonah, running from God, and then in the belly of the whale, and all that stuff, I'm still thinking of God. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the God I'm trying to run away from. And, 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 and I'm always talking to God. Even when I'm mad, even when I'm confused, when I'm waking up, when I'm driving down the road, when I'm going to bed, I'm talking to him. I keep those lines of communication open all the time. I'm not really good, like some of you are, at this intercessory prayer thing where I, you know, hunker down and sit there for an hour and, and, and have either contemplative prayer or intercessory prayer. I'm not, I'm not great at that, but, but I talk to God all the time. My, my prayer life, if you will, is, is extremely active. And I'd like to think that that's tied to, to this inner being power that I think God has, has given me that allows me to become more the man of God he wants to be. And then when it comes to humility, I, I don't know what it is. I just, I've told you guys this before. I, I just, I don't know if I call myself humble, but I, I, I don't see myself as better than any of you. I'm only about 10 of you in the room, but all of you out there, I, I don't see myself better than any of you. I really don't. I, I don't wake up every day and say, boy, I'm a bigwig pastor of a large church, that, that would just make me wanna vomit, I don't, I don't think of that. I, I wake up every day, I really do, and just go, wow, I'm a pathetic sinner saved by God's grace. Thank you for that, Jesus. And, and, and that allows me, and I don't even try to do it, God just allows me to think that way, and allows me just to, to remember who I am and what really matters most. And, and so this idea of prayer and humility I think really our key to seeing the Spirit unleashed in our lives. One of the reasons some of you might deeply struggle with powerlessness in your life is because, and I don't mean to be too hard on you, but just be honest, is that you don't talk to God all that much. And and when you walk through your day, you're just pretty haughty and arrogant. At least those around you would say that you are. But one of the most beautiful things that happens to me, it's happened to me a couple of times through this pandemic, is when God clobbers one of his children and they realize how haughty and proud and arrogant and, 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 and selfish and even self-focused they have been. And in a moment of profound repentance, like Paul, they get on bended knee before God and say, I need him desperately, and I'm willing to submit. I'm telling you, it's at those moments when that happens to you, know, some of you know what I'm talking about, that, that God has you where he wants you, and, and you watch that that inner being power begin to be unleashed in the way that you think, the way that you feel, and the way that you will and act, And maybe he'll even change your circumstances. He does that sometimes. But but the, the cake, the promise is in you. That's what he really wants to change. So be encouraged. We're gonna still feel powerless. We live in fallen bodies in a fallen world and we're not perfect. But there's more power for you than you could ever imagine. There's more of God's reserves, the riches of his glory, than you could ever realize. As Ephesians will say, he has blessed us in the heavenlies with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That has to be some power there. and He wants to unleash that in your life. Draw close to him. Talk to him all the time. Humble yourself before him. Get others praying for you. and Let's see him transform you and me more and more into the image of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this amazing verse that truly is jam-packed. we probably only scratched the surface with the truth that we need to know you. In fact, Paul will go on in this passage to say, now to him who can do immeasurably more than ever we could ask or imagine, and God, that is you. And so I pray, God, that you would do that in our lives, in our inner being. God, transform us in our thinking, Help us to harness those negative emotions and unleash the positive fruit of the spirit. Help us, Lord, to to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And Lord, may that come because your Holy Spirit becomes vivified in us, becomes unleashed in us as we cooperate with you through humility and prayer. God, this is accessible to all of us, each and every one of us, as we grow in our faith in you. So encourage us in that today. We can't wait to see what you're gonna do in us and even through us as we avail ourselves of this amazing strength that you have reserved for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.